Hello, and welcome to the Motivate Change podcast, inspiring heart disease survivors to live a longer, healthier life. I'm your host, Devin Brzezinski, a fellow heart disease survivor and occupational therapy student here to help you navigate a world of uncertainty after a cardiac event. Today's episode is really special. I have Callan Wall here. She is an experienced dietitian, intuitive eating coach, mental health advocate, and a new mother who is extremely passionate about helping others heal their relationship with food and their bodies. She works as a cardiac dietitian in North Carolina and owns a private practice called Tula Wellness, which uses humor, sass, and science to help make healthy eating achievable and sustainable. Welcome, Callan. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited for our conversation today, just from messaging back and forth on Instagram. I think we're going to have a really great conversation. Um, a lot of my patients had asked some questions for you, and so we're going to save those till the end. Um, but first, I don't know if you wanted to just give our listeners a little bit of background about you and how you got into um, your career and maybe why you're so passionate about it. Yeah, I would love to. And I just want to start off with saying thank you so much for having this podcast as a resource. I know that I'm definitely going to be telling my my cardiac rehab patients about it. Oh, thank um, you. That there definitely is a need for just more conversation around how to manage like all the things that come with a diagnosis like that. And um, yeah, so just really awesome that you have this available. Oh, thank you. So I have been practicing as a dietitian since 2015. Um, I started off in, you know, I've been counseling my entire career, just in the outpatient setting. I never worked in the clinical hospital setting. Um, and I actually started working as a cardiac rehab dietitian, which I didn't even know cardiac rehab was a thing until one of my co uh, old coworkers let me know about this job opening at our local hospital. And um, I was like, okay, look, you know, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm just going to dive in. And I've been working in cardiac rehab since 2018. And yeah, I would be really sad to ever leave the cardiac rehab field. And then in 2020, during the pandemic, I decided to just dabble with starting my own private practice and seeing my own clients on the side. So I I'm sure there were like a lot of changes too, as COVID hit and restrictions. Oh, so yes, yeah, it seems yeah. like the perfect timing to open up your own practice. It definitely was. I was still actually working. Um, we weren't seeing patients, but we were all kind of dispersed doing like other things within the hospital system. And so it really was like the perfect, it just limited itself to, I never thought that I would open my own practice. I never had the desire to until COVID. So I guess that's kind of a silver lining for me in my life with, with COVID. Absolutely. Yeah. Can you speak a little bit about like, obviously the patients that we're both working with have undergone a huge life change and diet and nutrition is one of those major aspects that I think can sometimes get overlooked. Um, and so how, what's your approach to treating these patients and meeting them where they are in order to live a little bit healthier? 
Yeah. So I love the meeting them where they are piece that you mentioned, because one thing, you know, food is so personal to people. Um, it is not just about like knowing what is healthy. It's also like the behaviors and cultural connection and celebration. And it's really, really personal for people. So meeting people where they are is is truly the only way to empower people to be able to make changes that are like lasting and meaningful. Mm. So, I mean, I've definitely been the dietitian in the past who came in with kind of my own agenda on, you know, okay, I am looking at their chart and I see like these things should be the focus of what we talk about today, but it really is so much more about where the patient is at with their readiness to make changes, um, what foods they enjoy. And I think that's something that a lot of people get really afraid of when they have a diagnosis of heart disease. They feel like they need to then give up everything that they enjoy. So that's something that I would love, like want to make sure that your listeners, um, that that comes across very clearly is you don't need to give up foods that you enjoy. You don't need to be feeling like you can only eat cardboard for the rest of your life. I hear that Uh from a lot of my patients. Uh Food can still be, you know, fun. And it's just about finding like the apple that's hanging the lowest on the tree, I guess. It's kind of my approach with my patients is like, okay, if we have this goal of like climbing the tree to get this like apple that's really far, which might mean, you know, your perfect picture of, let's say, Mm -hmm. Uh, well, we can't just go straight for that apple. Like, why don't we pick the apple that's hanging the lowest, which might mean like, something as simple as drinking more water, you know, yeah, making those small sustainable changes that feel pretty seamless. Cause then that's going to like be a snowball effect into folks feeling like they're going to be able to actually make more changes. I love that analogy because it's low hanging fruit, right? It's what's the easiest replacement or substitution that I could use right now. That's not necessarily going to change the, the texture or the taste of what I'm eating, or maybe it's what I'm drinking and, and other calories you're putting into your body, but making it a little bit healthier. Yeah. And not feeling like you're depriving yourself or like putting yourself in a situation where you're going to do this for just a week and then it's too hard. And then you're going to give up and then you're going to feel like a failure. And then you're going to think that you can't do it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other part too how I think even just think how someone thinks about making changes in their life. Like I think it is so helpful to reframe in our minds, like, okay, why, what is my why behind why I'm doing this? Why am I going to make these changes? What's important to me and start with the ones that feel like a line in alignment with, with your values and how you want to live your life. So for example, um, or really, I guess what I'm getting at is it can be so much more helpful to view making changes as a form of respect for yourself and your body and out of mm. a form of self-care versus like self-discipline and punishment for this diagnosis or something. Um, it can You can view nutrition and food and health and making lifestyle changes in such a more like kind and compassionate way. If you're If you're someone who's feeling like you need to be like, overhauling everything in your life and becoming extremely like rigid around those things. Absolutely. Um, it's, it's overwhelming at that point, 
I think. Exactly. And I, I understand why someone might want to feel like they need to jump in and overhaul and change everything or feel like that's, you know, how they have to do it. And then they do nothing because that's unattainable. Yeah. Analysis by paral- or paralysis by analysis. It's just like yeah. too many options. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, that also brings up another good topic of, you know, what does the word diet mean to you and like different, um, health behaviors to yeah. like, what are my own health beliefs? Do you talk about that with your patients? Definitely. So most of the time people come to me feeling like they already know everything a lot about nutrition because there's so much out there and there's new fads and trends that come out all the time. And, um, it's a whole, it's a whole industry, right? Like the dieting industry. Mm -hmm. And so when I hear the word diet, um, it can kind of mean, I mean, there's many ways I could go with this, but like diet could just mean someone's eating world, right? Like, tell me about your diet. Tell me about your eating world. Or sometimes when people hear the word diet, they might think, um, like actually being on a specific like eating plan diet sort of thing. Sure. Um, I think that, well, with what we know about like dieting is that there's a 95% failure rate. And so, wow. Um, I, I didn't know that statistic. Yeah. There's a 95% failure rate. And then with, with weight loss in particular, um, folks who lose weight through dieting actually regain two thirds of folks who lose weight through dieting, regain the weight within two to five years of starting to diet. So if you're someone who is feeling like, okay, I need to have a plan to follow, or I need to figure out like, you know, overhauling how I'm going to meet my eating world, let's say, Mm -hmm. um, do your best to steer away from those like really enticing diets that are out there because there's anything that you, that you do now, like whatever results you're trying to achieve, whether it's lowering your cholesterol, lowering your blood pressure, um, lowering your A1C, losing weight, any of those things, whatever you do to achieve your goal, you're going to have to continue doing that in order to maintain those results. So if you're someone who's intrigued by like doing keto, let's say. I was literally just thinking that. <laughs> like, okay. If you do that, what I like to encourage my patients to do is reflect on, is this something that I would be willing to do truly forever? Or is this mm-hmm. something that I'm hoping is going to like, give me a quick fix. Like I have some patients who will tell me, well, I was just thinking I was just going to do this thing like keto or Noom or whatever it is. And that would get me on the right track. And then I will eat healthy again. And, you know, I understand the intention behind that, like getting on, getting onto a healthier eating track. But the problem with that is that the results, whatever results they get with those programs, they're going to have to maintain following the program in order to keep those results. And with the 95% failure rate, it's just not something that I would recommend, I would rather help um, folks realize that they can take those small, simple changes that are sustainable to them in their unique life. You know, something Mm -hmm. that works for one person or that is doable for one person isn't going to be 
doable for another person. And there's so many factors that go into it. Yeah. And I was, that was going to be my next question is, you know, based off of when you're giving recommendations, you're really customizing it for every single patient that you meet with. Is there such thing as one size fits all when it comes to nutrition? There really is not. There definitely are some like, there usually with most of my patients, I will use a very similar framework to help them work through. But when it comes to like formulating a well-balanced meal, that's going to be supportive of their heart health, whether it's, you know, adding more fiber or blood sugar regulation, like most of us can benefit from those things, but we are all so unique and we're not robots and we don't all have the exact same nutrition needs. Even our own bodies don't have the exact same nutrition needs every single day. So like there's definitely not, that's the hard part about nutrition and just the field that I work in in general is that it is not a black and white thing for all people, right? It's, you know, we have these research studies and, you know, evidence-based recommendations, but then it's like, how do we fit that into someone's unique life with all the considerations of other comorbidities that they have or medications that they're on or financial abilities even, you know? So those are all things that need to come into account when someone's trying to make like meaningful lasting changes. Yeah. And I feel like there's a lot of professionals out there too, that can, they have certain opinions and they may sway one way versus another. And so it just continues to add to the stigma. Definitely. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So if, if someone is trying to be more cautious about the foods that they're taking in every day and they've kind of mapped out to say, okay, I'm going to be eating X, Y, Z and drinking this amount of fluids per day. Do you recommend that they track it in any certain way, like on an app or on paper and pen? Yeah, that's a great question. So I, I do think that there is a place for tracking for some people. Um, when tracking becomes stressful or when it becomes obsessive um, or feeling like it's putting too many um, like walls around someone's I guess like leading to like a deprivation sort of feeling with someone. Um, I, I then don't think it's healthy or, or beneficial, but if someone's trying to identify just like patterns in their day to day, if they're trying to get just a general feel for, okay, am I meeting my marks on trying to get X amount of servings of fruit or vegetables every day, or, um, you know, for some people have, again, it's kind of individualized, but like, let's say that someone has congestive heart failure and they're needing to be very mindful of their sodium intake or their fluid intake. Like, yes, I think that tracking could be supportive, but it really all comes down to making sure that it's not wreaking havoc on someone's mental well-being because tracking can be really, really stressful for a lot of people. Yeah. I was going to say, I know a lot of people, at least in the um, bodybuilding or powerlifting world, and they're constantly weighing their food and tracking their macros and using apps to track all this data. And to me, that's just, it's not doable. It's very overwhelming. Um, and if it's overwhelming to me with somebody in the fitness space, like I can only imagine how intimidating it might feel for someone who doesn't have the same knowledge. 
Absolutely. And it's really, it's truly, in my opinion, it's just not, it's just not necessary um, or sustainable. Like most of my patients who have tried tracking, when I ask them to track for me, just if I'm trying to help them identify, like, why am I binge eating at this time of day? Or why am I having these specific symptoms after I'm eating? You know, I say, I'll say, you know, something that would really help me help you is if you could just track for three days, like even just three days could be beneficial for some people. Mm-hmm. But most of the time I get this like deer in headlights, like, are you kidding? I like don't have time to do that. I'm not going to do that. So then it's like, well, there's other ways you can like mull out, you know, how you're going to make some changes and that sort of thing. But I think tracking can be for some people helpful for other people stressful. Um, but like speaking of apps, I know that there is, I mean, my fitness pal is a, is a big one that some people will use. And I know that it gives a pretty accurate, um, at least I'm not, I guess it's not like an evidence-based thing that I just said, but I believe that it gives pretty accurate um, amounts of, of different nutrients. And for someone tracking like sodium or something like that, mm-hmm. do I think it's helpful to be tracking like calories? And do I think people need to be tracking like every single thing that they're, you know, every single nutrient that they have, are eating. I, I don't think so in order to be healthy. Yeah. Um, I was going to say with the my fitness pal app i think that one they've added a lot more companies i guess to their registry so you can plug in like um like the brand or something yeah yeah the brands and oh, yeah. and so it's very specific. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So i think yeah. it can be helpful for just like knowledge like helping someone learn more about themselves and just creating some awareness and that might just be the stepping stone in order to okay, let's track and see where you're at laying the foundation. And then let's stop tracking and just kind of with what we gather from the tracking, then we can start to say, Hey, let's add in more of this. Okay. Would you be willing to, you know, swap this for this sort of thing? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think that's a great place to start. And it's, it's less intimidating, I think at that point too, um, because I think our health beliefs directly impact the decisions that we make about food. And like, I know at least for me, um, I always thought that healthy food had to taste bad because my mom wasn't the biggest cook growing up. And so we would take frozen veggies and just throw them in the microwave. And then it's kind of like this soggy, wet mess and it did not taste good. And there were no seasonings on it. So like, that was my association with healthy vegetables. Right. And then over time, once I was, um, once I was living on my own and, and everything, I started experimenting more and now I add some seasonings on I'll saute them or roast vegetables. And it brings up so much more flavor. Um, so is there anything, um, I guess, specific that you recommend or like techniques when it comes to cooking and preparing meals that you would give to patients? Yeah, I think that's such a good point because I I really do hear from so many people, just like what you said, you know, I actually will hear this a lot. I'll have people tell me, well, you know, if it tastes good, you just got to spit it out. And that makes me so sad because that's indicating, you know, that what they're insinuating is if it tastes good there, then it's not healthy. Mm-hmm. And if it tastes good, it's bad for you. And that is just so not 
how we should be feeling about food. Like we should be enjoying our food, right? And healthy food does not have to be cardboard bland. You don't have to eat chicken without anything on it. Like you don't have to just eat chicken, rice, and broccoli. There's so many <laughs> ways to make. I think the main thing that can be really tricky for a lot of people who maybe aren't used to cooking, but really is just maybe experimenting with just cooking yourself one meal throughout the week. You know, if you're someone who is intimidated by cooking, don't know how to season things, there's plenty of like the American Heart Association has like truly hundreds of free recipes on their website. Yes. Heart.org. You just click, you can even type it, go to Google and just type in like American Heart recipes and click the first link that comes up. And that way you're taking your, like the responsibility off of yourself. You end up not liking that meal. That's just one meal. You know, then you can have the cereal that you have in your pantry for dinner, (laughs) but you're not going to, you know, have to try. Like there could be plenty of things that you didn't like as a child that maybe you will like now, especially if you're cooking it yourself and practicing different cooking methods, like I have a lot of patients who love the air fryer. I don't have an air fryer. I want one because of how much like amazingness I've heard about it, but that's a really awesome way to like have a nice texture on your, whether you're cooking like chicken or people like to do like asparagus in there or people do everything in the air fryer. And you don't have to add a whole lot of extra oil. um, And it still gives you that crispy texture apparently. Mm-hmm. I use it almost every day. <laughs> I made yeah, breakfast yeah. potatoes really so crispy this morning. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you, like, and they were probably so delicious. And I think expanding or broadening your perspective on like healthy food does not have to taste bad. You know, can I stock my pantry, my cupboard with a bunch of different seasonings that maybe, you know, maybe it's going to be like more of a Spanish style you know, taco seasoning sort of thing. And then I'm going to also have some like Italian spices. I'm going to have like my salt, pepper, garlic powder, like seasonings are everything. Mm -hmm. And actually like herbs and spices, those are so packed with antioxidants. A lot of people don't realize that. Hmm. So adding a whole lot of herbs and spices, like dried oregano, dried basil, cilantro, any of that, it's going to be giving you extra antioxidants. There's, um, this is not sponsored, but (laughs) there goes has an amazing seasoning. It's called the 21 seasoning salute. Have you tried that? No, I've never heard of it. There's no sodium in it. Um, and it just has a nice, like citrusy kind of, it's 21 different seasonings in there. We put it on chicken, we put it on vegetables. You can put it on literally anything and it tastes delicious. Um, but awesome. I think what's it called again? 21 seasoning salute, 21 seasoning salute. Okay. Salute, I don't know how to I don't know how that word is said. It's like S-A-L-U-T-E. Okay. And it is, we never, like if we're running low, we're like, we have to run to the store like yesterday to go get pronto. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But just getting, like allowing yourself to experiment in the kitchen, I think is going to be the number one in order to start feeling more comfortable and like actually learning how you like to cook and what you like to cook and how long you like to spend in the kitchen. Yeah, that's always a big factor for me too. It's like, how much time do I have to devote to this tonight? Am I exhausted from work all day and like all the other obligations we have? Absolutely. And like, I will tell my patients all the time too, that 
healthy eating does not even need to involve cooking. Like you can formulate a well-rounded balanced meal with toast. You know, I guess that would involve the toaster. Let's just say bread. Mm -hmm. Um, You could do like a Greek yogurt and fruit and you could put like some peanut butter on your bread. So like that could be a well-rounded balanced meal, a little peanut butter sandwich with a Greek yogurt and some fruit on the side. Yeah. You didn't cook anything. So healthy eating does not have to involve a lot of cooking. Okay. All this food talk is making me hungry. <laughs> also getting close to dinner time. I know. Right. Um, okay. So feel like literally all day, I'm like, I talk about food with people all day. I'm just like constantly thinking and talking about food. I'm hungry all day. <laughs> I know. I don't know how you do it. <laughs> yeah. I guess I'm used to it by now, but yeah. I, but still it'd be hard, especially around lunch and dinner time. Oh my gosh. If I'm hungry and I have a patient or a client, I'm like, all right, let's get this done. Let's get this done. I got to go eat. <laughs> yeah. Um, will you ever bring like snacks in with you? Oh yeah, I do. Because I want to normalize that. Like I want my patients and my clients to always feel welcome to do that. And like, I'll tell them like, I am starving right now. And if I don't eat this, I'm not going to be able to focus. So Thank you for bearing with me. And I'm like, do you want a snack? You know, if, if I'm in person or like yeah. I have had um, a patient or a client on, I do telehealth stuff with Tula uh-huh. and I've signed on with her and said, I have got to take you with me to my fridge. And like, it kind of, it, it creates this interesting dynamic where like they tend to then feel more comfortable. Like I actually noticed she, um, she would usually sit at like her office during our sessions after I did that, I'm just going to like let some of my barriers down. She like went and sat on the couch and like felt a little mm. bit more comfortable in our session. And I was like, this is interesting. You know, I love that. Yeah. It's almost like you're sharing with them. You're saying like, this is how I live every day. These are the things that I eat. I'm not just saying this to you because it's my job. It's like, I'm living this every single day and I really believe in it too. Yes. And like, it's okay to eat when you're hungry like if you're hungry like let's honor that and you can bring a snack you know have a snack right before you go into your meeting or bring it into your meeting if you can I love that and th- I guess this kind of ties in with um what we were just talking about like you're obviously breaking down some barriers um and opening the door for people to feel more comfortable and developing rapport with them. Um, do you ever feel like there is evidence behind the food that we eat in our mental health? Yes. So I have to say, I'm definitely not an expert in that realm, but there, I definitely have read, um, research and information about something called the gut brain axis. So I'm sure I'm sure you've heard of that before. Mm-hmm. And so it's basically there's a pathway that links our brain and our our gut um, to each other through um, our nervous system. And so you know that's a lot of the times that might be why someone, you know, if you feel anxious or if you're feeling like stressed out or whatever you can actually start to feel symptoms in your, in your gut and it can impact your gut health. Um, but creating a healthy gut microbiome is what we call it. So basically just a nice, um, we have like billions of bacteria that live in our gut, but our gut microbiome 
is super important for like actually a lot of our health risks. So, but back to the mental health thing, there's actually two neurotransmitters that are produced in our gut. So serotonin, and dopamine, and those are like the happy, feel good hormones. Yeah. We don't have a nice environment in our gut um, where those bacteria that create those neurotransmitters can live or survive. And that's definitely going to be impacting, you know, I'm sure that there's links to things like depression and anxiety and like mood disorders and things like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so the foods that you would eat in order to promote that healthy gut microbiome are going to be things like, um, well, A, the probiotics, but then B, um, what feeds the probiotics, which is basically fiber. Hmm. And that, I guess that's also why doctors growing up would always say, eat a lot of fiber. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah. And there's a lot of reasons why we need fiber. Um, but yeah, the, um, I literally just lost my train of thought and this is what happens when you're a new mom. Oh, I was going to talk about being hangry. So <laughs> mood disorder or, or like your mood or, um, like mental health. If you think about, so the first thing that I talk about with people in like our first or second session is going to be blood sugar regulation, whether you have diabetes or not, like we all have blood sugar mm-hmm. and we need it to be consistent, like not having major spikes and crashes. And if you have ever experienced being hangry, like so hungry that you're angry mm-hmm. really I have a lot of those friends. <laughs> I definitely like don't cross me if I haven't eaten in a while. Um, but it definitely has a major impact. You know, our blood sugars have a lot to do with like hormone regulation in our body as well. So there's, there's so much to it and there's probably so much more to it that I even could imagine with mental health and food. Mm-hmm. Um, but keeping our blood sugars well-regulated just by eating well-rounded, like balanced meals and snacks is another like thing that comes to my mind with that question. Hmm. Yeah. Cause I know, well, the gut brain connection, it's through the vagus nerve, right? Yeah. And that, that's yeah. a major nerve when, um, when you get into fight or flight responses and, you want to have your vagus nerve needs to be in your rest and digest or your parasympathetic nervous system. Um, and so I feel like for people that have chronic anxiety or depression or, um, you know, any, any type of mental health issues that's directly affecting their digestion. Yes. Yes. Okay. So it's so interesting to me because I have patients who will come to me, like, let's say they have heart disease, but they also have IBS or something. And they think that the first thing that they need to do is like an elimination diet and they need to cut out all these foods. Mm. And the reality is like actually step one for IBS and heart disease is like, let's talk about your stress. Let's talk about, um, something like just along the, that exact line, we call it like in the nutrition world and like mental health world, like your window of tolerance, mm-hmm. which is like, you know what you're like the polyvagal theory with yep. the vagus nerve, mm-hmm. and like just how much being in that fight or flight can affect someone's digestive system, whether it's bloating, constipation. Um, so it's like your mood is tied to how your, your belly is physically feeling. And then that's going to impact your like, your ability to absorb and digest nutrients. 
So it's like a full circle thing. So if you can start to learn how to manage your stress well, you can get back into that window of tolerance, which is kind of basically your ability to tolerate stressors and where everything is feeling good and calm in the world. It's like, that's when you're inside your window of tolerance. That's when you're going to be having healthy digestion. You're going to be having like healthy bowel movements. You're not going to be as bloated, constipated, that sort of thing. So that there's like so much out there on that. that really fascinates me as well. Absolutely. Um, just for a sake of time, I think we should probably go into the questions that were sent over by some of my patients. So is that okay with you? Okay. The first question I have is what would be a good source of protein and fiber? If you can't eat fish, you're dairy free, you have reduced salt and you're also gluten-free. That's a great question. It sounds like this patient is juggling a lot. So my heart goes out to them. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess I'll start with the protein. So protein and fiber are two different. They come from two different, um, I guess, areas, right? So protein is a macronutrient. Fiber is a type of carbohydrate. So and carbohydrate is macronutrient as well. So protein, you can find protein in so many foods that don't involve dairy or fish. Um, so there's obviously like, you could be choosing lean meats, mm-hmm. so like your chicken, turkey, um, that sort of thing. You could be eating um, plant proteins. So if you were able to tolerate like beans or um, even like whole grains are high in protein and obviously the, the gluten-free ones. So things like quinoa, it's pretty mm-hmm. high in protein. Um, oats are pretty high in protein. Um, and then your soy foods. So like edamame, tofu, tempeh. Um, those are going to be some, oh, and then if you can do um, nuts and seeds as well. So I love to have my patients keep, um, I call them like nutrient boosters. Um, in their house, the so things like chia seeds or hemp seeds, and you can sprinkle those into like anything, smoothies, oatmeal, yogurts, even salads, even like sometimes I'll sprinkle it in like on top of my pasta if I didn't have a protein available, huh. like a available. Okay. Um, but hemp seeds are like, I think three tablespoons gives you about 10 grams of protein. Wow. So lots of ways that you can get your protein. Um, and then fiber mainly just comes is found in whole grains, fruits, vegetables, and starchy vegetables. So that really should be, um, you know, if you're focusing on adding enough of those into your diet, which most of those don't have, you know, fruits and vegetables don't have really much sodium at all, no dairy, no gluten. Mm-hmm. So that can be a great place to start. And then maybe also some nuts and seeds. Okay, great. And since you just brought it up, chia seeds, um, so I, I'll admit, like I'll eat chia seeds, but I don't really know what their benefit is. And one of the patients asked me, why are chia, chia seeds good for you? And I was like, that's a great question. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, are. I might as well ask the expert here. Yeah, so chia seeds have, um, some heart healthy fats in them. So we actually consider them to be an added fat. Um, and then they also provide us with a lot of fiber. So I think two tablespoons of chia seeds gives us about eight grams of fiber, and the general recommendation for women is 25 grams of fiber a day. 
and for men is 30 grams a day. So two tablespoons of chia seeds is getting you, you know, a third of the way there. Yeah. So they're packed with fiber, have a little bit of protein, but they, they're packed with heart healthy fats as well. Okay. Like I've made protein balls. So I'll throw chia seeds in there or sometimes in my yogurt. Do you throw them in water? What else do you put them in? You can use, um, you can put them in smoothies. You can make your um, chia pudding where you do like, you can just Google how to make chia pudding, but you do chia seeds and then whatever milk you want to use. So like I'll do almond milk, Hmm. a little bit of like honey, and then you let it sit in your fridge for a little while and it turns into like, like a pudding. Yeah. Thicker consistency. Yeah. And then you can add like berries to it. Um, that's kind of, that's mainly what I would do with mine. Like I just put mine in a uh, smoothie earlier today. Cool. Actually, I, I made the, the yogurt mixture you're just talking about last week for one of my snacks. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty, I mean, I think the texture can be, you know, some people are weird about the texture, but I like it. Yeah. Um, okay, great. What, what about if you're eating a low on a low oxalate diet and you're vegetarian and you can't eat beans. So this what, is a, yeah, sorry. Yeah, Go ahead. Okay, yeah. This is a really, um, this is a great question. It sounds again, like this person's juggling a lot and even hearing that word like low oxalate makes me assume that this person has kidney stones. That's usually why someone would be needing to follow a low oxalate diet. I'm not sure. So kidney stones, like there's either like the calcium, um, or the oxalates. And so oxalates are mainly going to be found in like many different types of vegetables. Um, but then they can also be found in things like beans. So what I would recommend for this person is to figure out, okay, what makes up a balanced meal? So I can just go ahead and tell you like, the standard, okay, can we have something with protein, something with starch, and then something with color? So I like to picture like a peace sign on your plate, like having three different compartments. So we have our starch, we have our protein, and we have like produce, whether it's fruit or veg. Um, and then truthfully, I would keep a list of like, what are the high oxalate foods? Avoid those. And then fill your plate with just generally low oxalate foods. So for vegetarian, I would probably recommend choosing some of those grains that don't have oxalates in them that are whole grains to give them more protein. Okay. Um, and then work probably working closely. Like if you're really struggling, I would work closely with a dietitian who could really help you like come up with an individualized plan on, okay, what are like three breakfasts, three lunches and quick, some quick dinners that I can at least always have available. And yeah, then, kind of like your staples and yeah, then branch out yeah, from there. Branch out from there. Because that's a pretty like individualized thing that we'd be working with there. And so it would take some time to really like mold that out. But that's a lot to juggle for sure. Okay, great. Um, this one also tripped me up <laughs> because someone asked about milk quality. And uh, this person was wondering is like full fat or low fat milk better for heart health? Because he had heard that low fat isn't as good or beneficial. So I wanted to ask what your thoughts were. So that's where nutrition becomes really fun as well. Like even just nutrition research and stuff. So it's kind of a nuanced answer and I'll try to keep it short, but 
basically the reason why like a general recommendation for someone with heart disease would be to have low fat milk would be because low fat milk has less saturated fat in it. And saturated fat is a type of fat that we know is linked to um, like build up in arteries. And yeah, it's build up in the arteries, like higher cholesterol. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, so that would be like, okay, saturated fat is found in mostly animal foods. Um, the difference between the saturated fat content though of like whole milk compared to low fat milk or even non-fat milk is really not, it's not like astronomical. I can't remember the exact grams, but maybe it's like six grams. Um, so it's kind of like pick your battles, right? Mm -hmm. Like maybe you could lower your saturated fat elsewhere if you're not really wanting to choose low fat milk. The yeah. other thing though, is that diabetes is a risk factor for heart disease, right? So yes. if you're someone who has diabetes or you're wanting to prevent diabetes or it runs in your family, choosing something like whole milk or a food that has some, you know, milk naturally has sugar in it, has like 12 grams, I think, of carbs um, and, and sugar. If you're drinking skim milk, you're basically just getting the like liquid sugar and a little bit of protein in there. Um, whereas if you have whole milk, you're getting fat with it. So that's going to actually slow down how quickly it's going to hit your bloodstream. So mm. it's not going to cause as much of a spike and crash. You're going to be a bit more full. So that's where the nuance comes in on okay. kind of from a saturated fat standpoint, if you're someone who has really high cholesterol, it might be beneficial to, you know, okay, I'm making lasagna tonight. Am I willing to choose, you know, skim ricotta because I can't really taste it. It's mixed in with like the sauce and all these other flavors sure. versus like personally, I don't love the flavor of like 2% block of cheddar or something. So if I'm going to eat cheese, I'm going to get the full fat or I'm going to, you know, if I'm going to drink milk, I'm probably going to get the 2% versus the skim because I enjoy it. So it's like kind of pick where you want to like the apple that's hanging the lowest, I guess. Yes. Yeah. Again. That makes sense. Um, and that's what I would, would think too, just kind of intuitively, if I were in that position, be like, okay, what, um, what would, where would I like to substitute this somewhere else? And so I think that's a really good, um, and, a good another, observation. Another thing to kind of add on to that is like, it's all about like your intake over time, like your patterns over time are what matter more than just like one day. So if mm -hmm. you're, if you're someone who's drinking milk at every single meal and every single snack, it might be worth switching to the 2%. If you're, you know, wanting to manage your cholesterol levels a little bit better, that might have actually a pretty big impact for you. But if you're someone who just has milk with their cereal in the morning and then that's it, it's probably not going to be impacting you a whole lot to make that switch. If that makes sense. No, that makes complete sense. Um, I think that's smart too. I guess it goes back to your point of knowing your baseline and knowing what foods you typically eat and the quality of those in order to start making those small changes with the low hanging fruit. Yeah, exactly. Great. Um, so the next question is how do you balance making food and tracking how much, uh, all the ingredients, right? The 
sodium, the fats, the carbs, protein, um, and in each serving or portion size, because, um, I had a patient who was trying to stick to online recipes where he knew all of the nutritional content was already there. Um, and then this kind of brings up the point that we talked about before with keeping it in an app and tracking it versus not so curious what your thoughts were. Yeah. It's so hard because I do feel like, I do think that, you know, I guess it depends on what his individual like reason for tracking is. If he's someone who's tracking his sodium because he has congestive heart failure or he's at risk for like fluid retention, like kidney issues, I do think it would be beneficial to probably use an app because there's just no way, there's no like humanly possible way to be tracking like in a journal with all the, like your carbs, your proteins, your fats, all of that. I personally don't think also that it's just, this is my like personal nutrition philosophy. I don't think that it's necessary to do that, but I would have to know more specifics on like what the reason is behind him tracking. Um, I do think that probably using an app is going to be a way to stay more sane while you're doing it. (laughs) And then if you're making like a recipe and you're looking at the nutrition information, there's actually a, um, there is a website. If you were to type in, I'll have to find it and send it to you, but it's something like recipe um, nutrition tracker. And you can actually copy and paste a recipe into that and put how many servings you're going to be making out of it. And it will kind of give you a rough estimate on how much like the nutrition, it'll give you like a nutrition facts label for how much of all of those things you're getting per serving. Uh, But my short answer is I really just don't know if it's necessary to be tracking all of those things in order to like just be healthy and improve your heart health. Yep. Okay. Um, and then the last question we had was how can I feel like food is not poison? (laughs) We've kind of touched on this a little bit. And he said that I'm having, I'm really having trouble with thinking that everything I put in my mouth is just no good for me. Yeah. And that's such a common, I think, and expected feeling to have when you are suddenly like diagnosed with, I mean, you had a heart attack or, just at any new diagnosis, it's really easy to focus first on the food, right? Because that's something that we have control over. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're also like kind of inundated with this message of, hey, like it's your diet and your exercise that matter above anything else. But the reality is those are like, your nutrition is one piece to your heart health puzzle. So there are so many other pieces that are equally as important Um, and so if you're feeling like afraid of food, or if you're feeling like everything I eat is poison to me, that, that tells me that you probably could benefit with working with someone who can help you like work through that, whether it's a therapist or a dietitian. Um, but, but just keeping in check, like, okay, what is truth versus what is just my belief about this food? You know, like, am I just believing that this food is unhealthy or is there actually like evidence to show me that this is poison? Because what matters first, like we call this like the nutrition hierarchy of needs. Um, you know, if you've heard of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, it's like you start with the bottom of the yeah. triangle, you meet those needs, then you 
go to the next one, the next one, and then you reach cell backfertilization. Well, in the nutrition world, it's like just eating enough food. If you're just starting with just eating enough food for your body, like food is not, like poison is poison. Food is not poison. Like, there's nothing that's going to be out there that they're going to be selling in a grocery store that is going to, to kill you unless you're allergic to it, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I think keeping yourself in check with okay, where am I getting this information from? Like, just because I'm having the thought, does that make it true? Um, and also knowing that like your health is not solely just your own responsibility. Like there's a genetic component. There's, you know, there's individual behaviors that you can be working towards, but that's not everything. Like there's medication that's part of it. So yeah. it's not just on you. It's not just what you're eating. That's, you know, the end all be all there's many different pieces to the puzzle. Yeah. I'm really glad you brought that up because I mean, we know statistically 80% of heart disease can be prevented, but it's not just your diet. It's how much physical activity you're getting in, what your stress levels are, how much sleep you're getting. Um, and then also your genetics, right? How much are you a smoker? Do you drink a lot of alcohol though? Uh, there's so many other areas that uh, need to be considered when you're talking about getting healthier. Um, so yeah, I think that you brought up a really, really good point there. Yeah. And if it's okay, like if we have time, I would love to just offer this like analogy really quick. Yeah. So if you're feeling like you're putting so much emphasis on nutrition and you're feeling like food is poison and you're stressed out about it, if we picture, like, I like to use the analogy of a steering wheel. So you're driving your car straight towards optimal health, let's say, mm -hmm. as much as you have control over. Genetics are another thing. <laughs> but you're having your steering wheel, and there's many different ways that you can hold the steering wheel. There's different areas you can hold, and I like to think of those as like pillars of heart disease management. So we have nutrition, we have, or like your eating world, have exercise, have stress management, hydration, sleep, we have love and connection with others. Like that's actually heavily linked to heart, heart health as well. Mm -hmm. If you're putting too much emphasis on any one of those things, you're going to turn the steering wheel and you're not going to be able, you're going to be neglecting some of those other things. So keeping yourself in balance, like yes, food is important, but remember it's one part of the steering wheel. We also don't want to be like stressing too much over it because then we're turning the steering wheel. If that makes mm. sense. I love that analogy. Thanks. <laughs> um, yeah, I think we have to really focus in on there's all those multiple areas in order to really sustain um, or maintain heart health. And doing it in a way that feels sustainable for you. So if mm -hmm. it's even just making one change in each of those areas or just focusing on one change in one of those areas first and like assessing again, like what's making the most impact on me. If I'm, you know, I have some patients who are asking me like, how do I kick my sugar cravings? Let's say, and I say, tell me about your sleep. And they say, Oh, I, my sleep is horrible. I stay up till 2am and then I'm scrolling on my phone or I'm watching TV. And then I wake up to go pee and I'm sleeping. You know, my sleep is not restful. I'm not getting quality sleep. Okay. Well, the goal then is to focus on the sleep because that's going to be impacting your energy levels for the next day, which is going to be impacting 
your body's cravings, it's going to be impacting what you're eating. Like mm-hmm. that's the problem. It's not the food. So oftentimes it can be other underlying things that you need to focus on first before yeah. food, you know? And like, it's all kind of, food. oops, it's all kind of connected. Yeah. Like the sleep, the lack of sleep might be what's poisoning you versus like the food, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, so do you think that it's, um, that's something that patients recognize on their own, or is that something that you kind of talk through and realize like when you're starting on this journey? It's, it's usually something that they have this like kind of aha in a session where, you know, if I'm thinking about those pillars, sometimes I will literally draw out that steering wheel and say, let's talk about each one of these things, because these are equally important. Like it's actually not just diet and exercise. It's, you know, the pie that has many more slices than that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then you're like, huh, you know, it's okay. Yeah. Maybe I, you know, that is something that would benefit me. And let's see how that ricochets into my food choices or like that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. My energy levels to be able to exercise. Yeah. And then we were just saying like, um, mental health connected with gut health. And that also is, contributing to your motivation and your energy levels. And that like in turn makes you like, I know if I'm super stressed, I'll just go out and get something to eat rather than cook in. So it's like this big spiral. It's all connected. Mm -hmm. Awesome. I mean, I honestly, I feel like we could continue this conversation for like several hours. (laughs) I do too. Yeah. There's so many, there's so much to be, to be covered, but I definitely think that we hopefully got some good nuggets out there and hopefully someone will take at least one thing away. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for your time, Callan. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Until next time. Wow, guys, that, that session was so informational I think you need to go back and listen to it a second time because there are just so many good gems of information embedded in here that you're going to go back and reference this. And if you have more questions for either myself or for Callan, please reach out to us. I'm going to put our emails and our contact information in the show notes. And better yet, share this with somebody that you love, someone that has tried quote unquote dieting and failed someone who is trying to make these lifestyle changes and is struggling because we really want to help you achieve your goals so that's all i have for you guys today with heart this is Stefan Brzezinski